What's up, everybody? Austin Winters here, and welcome to another episode of the Winters World Podcast. Today, I'm lucky to have a good friend of mine, Grady Wells, with me. And like always, I want to run through a few of Grady's unique fires like I do for every guest. So first and foremost, Grady is the co-host with Emery Seidel of the Composable Podcast. Uh, I'll put a link in our description so you can go check that podcast out. It's really good. You've interviewed guys from what Olympus, uh, Bankless, uh, people all over the crypto web three scape. So I, I think that's a, a good resource for anyone looking to get into crypto. Um, you left Deloitte a great job to go to the Lambda school. Now you're at another firm. We'll talk more about that in a little bit, but I think that's cool. Uh, what 23, 24 to kind of make a leap from what's traditionally known as one of the great companies and jump into web three. It shows that you're passionate and you're willing to put your money where your mouth is literally and you're just generally a crypto community builder. So, I mean, in Austin, it seems like you're doing a lot of cool things there. You built this giant group text that I'm in that we have a lot of mutual friends in uh, that can be funny, but also useful at times as well. So, Grady, welcome to Winter's World, man. I'm happy to have you. Thanks for having me, Austin. I appreciate you as a person and your thoughts. And it's always good to talk about this kind of stuff with, with you and our group text and excited to jump into it today. Yeah, I appreciate you too, man. So I, I, that's where I kind of want to start though, Grady. You're a very passionate guy. You're well-spoken. Can you tell me about your crypto journey, kind of when it began, how, how it's ebbed and flowed and where you're at now? For sure. So I went to business school at the University of Oklahoma. I graduated in 2020, um, st studied a, a couple different degrees there and like any like high achieving business uh, student, I was like, oh, I need to get a job in consulting or that was kind of one of the better jobs to get out of school. So I got a job in consulting joined during the pandemic. So didn't even start for October. So I had four months off and then I did a year totally remote, uh, enjoyed my time there, but really got fascinated with crypto, like while I was going through that experience. And I entered the space through just the ideas of people like Bology, Naval, Vitalik, and really came into it from an ideological perspective. There was a lot of unlearning I had to do from school, um, you know, being told that this entire thing was a scam, just to actually see what's there, like reading, reading, <laughs> reading primary sources, seeing what's going on. And you know, like as any like 22, 23, 24 year old became a little bit disenfranchised with like what was going on in society and like started to look for to people that are actually trying to build a better future and try to solve that. And I couldn't find a higher volume of people doing that than in crypto. So got really interested in that and started that podcast with Emery uh, interviewing Web3 founders and just talking about what they're building with an open mind. I think the Web3 or just crypto media in general can be pretty dogmatic and I'm not I mean, one day I probably will be dogmatic about something, but I try to stay open and just like hear everyone out. So through that, I actually met an investor in Austin and now I work for a crypto investment firm. Um, the part of the firm that I work on does early stage crypto investments. Uh, so seed series A, just finding founders, talking to founders, um, even meeting them on Twitter sometimes, doing like research and random chief of staff stuff is what I do now. And then also just trying to bolster the crypto community in Austin. And I know you mentioned uh, Lambda School in there. I actually left Deloitte to do Lambda School um, and I, I was enjoying it, but I had the opportunity to do what I was doing in my uh, free time, both at Deloitte and during Lambda School, which was like the podcast, throwing events in Austin and just you know, like learning more about crypto. Had the opportunity to do it in my day job and I was like, okay, I might as well go for this now. And so that's where I am today. No, that's awesome, man. And I respect that. You're willing to follow what you want to do rather than whatever path was set out for you that other people are trying to push you on. So I think that's cool. I want to touch on one thing that you, you said that I thought was pretty interesting. You said you came to crypto from kind of the ideological route. So Naval's a big philosophical thinker. Uh, Vitalik is even the, the founder of Ethereum. He's pretty philosophically oriented. I think most people come through either, uh, my friend made a lot of money 
Like that's how they get into crypto. And I should say, this is not investment advice. Anything we say, me and Grady are not telling you what to buy or what to do. Um, but, or, or they come through Bitcoin. They hear the Satoshi story. That's interesting to them. So like, do you think you have a different perspective from most people in crypto? And if so, how does it differ from the general crypto people? Yeah, when I meet OGs that have been in the space since like 2015, I was talking to someone the other day who was, you know, like ICO Ethereum, like been there, DevCon one, he's been there from the start. You know, he was trying to, they always try to get your vibes on like why you're in it. And because uh, the the reason this matters is, is like, yes, I'm in it for money in some regards. Like we all are doing things to make money because like we need to feed ourselves and be able to have to have stuff to spend and go and do things. Uh, but at the same time, like this place is really volatile. Like just the internet in general is a very variant place. Like you see it in social, like people get really famous, they get canceled or in crypto, people get really rich or they get wrecked. Like <laughs> these, uh, these distributions of results are, are pretty volatile in nature. And so like, if you're in it for the money, you come in for the money, you're just going to flip uh, a random coin or an NFT. Like when the water finally goes out, which it will like at some point again in the future, like when, when that happens, we don't know, but like at some point in time, there'll be like a, like any kind of capital market, there'll be a regression to the norm. Like we're in, I think we're a little bit of a frothy period across the entire asset, all of the asset classes in America, whether it be a house, a stock or, or crypto. I, and I don't think, I don't think that's like a controversial thing to say either. Like I don't, I, I would be hard pressed to find anyone that like did not agree with that statement. So the reason why it matters, like coming from an ideological perspective, if like something happens and all of this stuff nukes by like 80% tomorrow, like, I'm going to be more invested than ever and like be more excited to learn more about the stuff that people are building. Um, and that's why I always get nervous when people are like, oh, what do I invest in? Like, how do I get involved in crypto? Like, that's why we have the group text, because a lot of it is just like soaking in the information and the ideas and like listening to podcasts, reading Substacks, like following the right people on Twitter, like not people that are shilling, but people that are actually like, this is the purpose. This is the utility. This is where the world's going in five, 10, 20 years. And this is why this matters. Um, trying to approach from that perspective. So you just have actual conviction, right? Like you need, you need to have really high conviction in, in markets in general, especially markets that are extremely volatile. So I think that's really important for people that really want to get involved in crypto to like build that foundation first. And then you can start to kind of, uh, learn more and, and start to invest more of your money over time. Yeah, no, I like that. And I, th I think it's interesting because it's not, it's not like, a lot of the crypto, like the mainstay in crypto who've been through a lot of these bear and bull cycles seem like they're voting with their money more than they're trying to make more money. If they make, obviously you want to make a profit, but it's like, I want to support this DAO or this other like group, this community to help them build. And I want to see them succeed. And there's kind of game theoretic uh, incentive alignment. And I think that a lot of crypto comes down to that, where the incentives in our society feel like they've gotten shifted in ways that isn't beneficial for everyone. So, I mean, I think this is a good transition into airdrops because I think that's an interesting concept where a, a protocol can align their heaviest users with the good of the protocol and others. Uh, do you, do you want to talk about airdrops at all and kind of what you've seen like ENS maybe? Yeah. So airdrops are really, <laughs> are really fascinating, but I think this trend started to happen a lot in web two and like people just didn't talk about it. Like, uh, cash app for instance so, like everyone's like drop your cash tag or not everyone square like the main page is like drop your cash tag we're gonna send someone like ten thousand dollars in cash or bitcoin or whatever it is and like that became the marketing for many companies over the last like five years without really anyone paying attention and if you think about like the biggest youtuber ever like mr beast like mr mm -hmm. beast loses money on his videos like he gives away like a million dollars he might make five hundred thousand dollars from the advertisement like what he's doing is is like he found that like a lot of people 
like that pe he's giving away money and that people want to be in his videos maybe one day as like a participant, like they want to be a part of that community. Um, and so people started giving away money uh, instead of spending it on, you know, an ad that we all click through on a podcast or, you know, we don't even look at on our computer or we skip on our TV. Like people were really like kind of tired of ads in general. Um, in, in that regard, like you can actually spend all of that money in a, in a, as a, if you're trying to acquire users and do it through a, a way where you're just giving them the money and the people might say, oh, well, people are going to come for the wrong reasons if you just give away the money. And it's like, well, I mean, ads is like, you're basically giving the money to Facebook. I think it's like something crazy, like 25% of startup, or, or don't quote me on that, but something like in the range of like 20 to 35% of, of all startup capital goes to like Google and Facebook ads. So I think yeah. this is like a really interesting like way of acquiring users, especially for people that uh, have been participating in something for long enough. And what's cool about a blockchain is like we have an open data. We have open data now. We have data that anyone can access and build on top of. Like we had communication protocols that anyone could build on top of, which is like HTTP. So like now we have a database that anyone can go and take that all and like run queries on it and like do really interesting stuff with the people that have been interacting with it or you know like these these opportunities are are pretty endless and maybe we can talk about that a little bit later like the future of crypto maybe like just someone goes and does this for media but i you know airdrops is basically like the the web 2 version of of giving away or the web 3 version of giving away money like just on steroids like you know it's it's way crazier and i i think they're I think that people will continue to try to like basically just vampire attack the communities that exist on the internet. Be like, hey, you've been using this app and they've been failing you the last five years. Like, we'll give you like money based on how long you participated here to come be a part of this. And then the token, the innovation in Web3 and a lot of times is, you know, not only the technology, but the token. And what that allows you to do is really incentivize people to be a part of your community to go evangelize your community. And you know, like that has negative externalities, like people shilling coins. But at the same time, like you have this like kind of built in like equity and marketing component. Um, right. And an, air, an airdrop is just like, I mean, if you're, if you're into marketing and you're into like human behavior, like I would highly recommend like going and just kind of reading something about some of these different airdrops. And I mean, they're pretty fascinating. Yeah, no, I agree. And I, I'm glad you touched on the governance because I do agree with you that marketing Cash App was early to this kind of stuff. And that's one part of it. The, but the governance is a completely different thing. Cash App's giving away money, not shares. And like a lot of these airdrops are governance tokens. Um, and I've also called it, hip, like, I think it's the hipster thing. So like, you know, the hipsters, like I was on that band way before you, like when they were just like in bars, it's, it's like the early adopter yeah. uh, win, you know? So like, if you're the hipster who Put your time where your mouth is. You're actually there early. You're going to have a reward. Like a Klimadow, we uh, we were both kind of uh, early to that. And they give you an NFT that says, look, I, I can wear this badge proudly that I was a Genesis member of this DAO. I think that that kind of alignment is really interesting. But yeah, uh, the government... Oh, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. No, yeah. Like Uber wanted to give shares to like the first riders like no, or first drivers. Like no one knew that Uber would be more successful than the first drivers, right? No one knew that Airbnb would be successful more than the first people that put up their home, right? Like they wanted, both those companies wanted to give equity to those people that were like start, that participated in building that network and like started the two-sided marketplace, like started, they needed, it was like chicken and egg problem. Like these people needed to exist. And, and they also had more knowledge than most investors that it was going to be successful, right? Like they were right. doing it. They were like, this is crazy. Like this is changes the whole game, like totally different than me driving a taxi. And so like these people are actually like really qualified to understand that this new thing's important and they're participating in it and they should be rewarded for like starting that community or starting that network. 
And I think the token and like an airdrop is a way to retroactively do that. Like imagine if you went and like retroactively airdropped like all of the first Uber drivers a token. Well, we don't know. We can't do that because we don't have access to Uber's database. We don't know who the first drivers was. But in this world, like we actually do know who the first people to use something were. And like we can go and if the protocol doesn't reward them for doing it later on and said, hey, thanks for doing this, by the way. Like I think Airbnb did give a lot of their equity on their IPO out. Not a lot, but a, you know, a good amount to some of the people that had been on the platform for a while, which was really great. But I think like in, in crypto, like if uh, another protocol sees that someone hasn't rewarded their early users for creating this network effect, they could be like, hey, by the way, like, I mean, OpenSea and the SOS thing, like, hey, by the way, like you haven't got rewarded for all this value you've created, like come use ours and we'll actually reward you retroactively for what you did if you like bring it here. So it's re- it makes this like hyper competitive marketplace and you know, like people can't not think of what's best for the user and what's best for the people that built the initial community. And that was never the case in Web2. Oh, I agree. Yeah, I think about Facebook. Like if you joined Facebook in 2006 or whatever, when it was really early, that would, you were like those college kids who were using Facebook early on, they were instrumental in making Facebook what it is today. Without them all deciding to adopt and onboard this social media into their life, who knows if we have the same social media revolution, like even MySpace. So yeah, I think that's that's fascinating to reward the early adopters, which is what every company, like getting your first set of customers is the hardest part, you know? So like once you have a core group, that's, it's, it's easier to grow. It's uh, it gets exponentially easier. Um, but I think that's, that's pretty interesting. And I wanted to touch on something you also said, which was the real time data that's public on blockchains. I was thinking about this the other day, the applications for macroeconomics are pretty interesting. You can have real time data of who's spending what, what time they spent it, what they're willing to spend. Have you thought about anything like that at all? Well, there's a great blog and I can I can put it in the sh- maybe the show notes. I can send it to you that I was reading the other day. It was uh, a partner at Union Square Ventures, which I mean, Fred Wilson has a great blog. He's from Union Square, but another one of his partners is writing this piece. And it was like people used the PC, like a remote like desktop instead of like having like your at-home desktop. And the first versions of the like personal computer were like really junk, like really janky. Like they did everything pretty much way worse than like your normal computer, but but the fact you could take it anywhere with you, right? And so like people kept building, kept building, and then all of a sudden like the quality caught up and people could do just as much as they could on their personal computer as their desktop, and then everyone be- had a PC and that like that whole revolution changed. But at first everyone was like, yo, like why are you using this personal computer? It's literally worse at everything, right? Like, and that's kind of, but it, it, there was one thing that was better. F- there was one main thing that was way better and that it was portable and you could move it around and take it anywhere with you. And like, on and, and in blockchain and in, in general, like these open databases that everyone can access, like they're pretty much horrible at everything except like everyone can see all the data. And the fact that we don't have permissionless data, like that we have companies that like Facebook, Google, all of these companies are basically just like really big databases, right? Like they own the database, they're accessing the database, they built all these great, you know, like programming uh, applications of software around their database and like they have their database stored somewhere. Like all of that value is in that database, right? And it's pretty much around this wall garden right now. So like we're going to move to a space where we have an open database and anyone can play with it. Developers can go and just program whatever they want on top of it and access all of this data. And yes, it's going to be like a lot worse than AWS at like storing something or a lot worse at Visa of making a transaction. But like the sandbox and the playground that that's providing is like pretty substantial. So I think that's kind of where we are right now. Like a lot of the Web 2, Web 3 rhetoric is like, why would you use this? It's worse at everything. It was the same thing for the PC. And like, there's one key thing that's like way better here. And it's like, we have open permissionless data that anyone can access and anyone can be a part of and anyone can build on top of. 
Right. And I, I was actually reading a book. I wish I can give the author credit. It's called Net Worth. It was written in the late 90s. Uh, my dad actually recommended it to me. And it was interesting to hear them lay out what they thought the internet would be. They thought that we would all own our data as users. And there would be uh, firms called infomediaries that would basically bundle up your data and market it to firms like Amazon, like Google, uh, that for the highest bidder, basically. And I don't know how we fell into this oh, we don't get our data. It's by default terms and conditions. Like they get our data that we get no money off of anything. Uh, but I think crypto solves this. I think crypto kind of can flip that. Uh, and I think that's what Chris Dixon talks about. Read, write, own for Web3. Um, do you have any thoughts on that? Well, it, it, people want to say like a lot of people in Web3 want to be like, oh, Web2, it's evil. Like all of this stuff had to come first. You know, like there was a reason why like Uber, for example, like started happening. It was because like GPS technology got good enough where you could tell where the driver was and where the person was and they could hook that up like there was this innovation that happened and then and that thing got built and that like changed everything and like the same thing happened for Facebook like people were trying social networks like I forget the exact reason like why Facebook worked I think it was like something they were doing on the back end and like making each of the colleges like their own database instead of one big database which is like one of the first things they did and then and then I, I, there's a couple more advancements that I'm not like super technically inclined so I can't speak to that but like all these things come along because there's this new thing and I think those things have to happen and run them, run their course. And then, you know, Zuckerberg goes from the person of the year to like, you know, what he is now. And <laughs> like that, that was, that was in like 12, that, that was in like 15 years, you know? So like these things came first, like they did something really well. They made, uh, they made the internet social in a different, in a new way. They captured a ton of value. Amazon gave us everything at our door and maybe we keep Amazon out of this. Cause like, I don't really see how they get dis disrupted by this, but we'll stick to like media for instance or financial systems. Like these things like had to come first and now we can like improve upon them. Like we've always done for all of society. Like we've always had new things come along that are amazing. And then we realize the problems and then we're like, oh, okay, we'll try to fix the problems. Like here's our solution. And what you said with the read, write, own, like, and the internet from what we've had today, like the only thing that people haven't been able to do is really like own what they're creating, right? Like that's always been owned by someone else. Like maybe you run up, spin up your own server and your own website, but <laughs> But I mean, I mean, like other than that, like everything, like all of your creative energy is going on in this app and then maybe you get paid in ad dollars. So I think like the innovation around like being able to own parts of the internet that you contribute to is like the big one here. And instead of focusing on like all of the reasons why it's worse, be like, oh, well, you can actually own something now. Isn't that kind of crazy? And like, okay, well, what if that if that's true, like what does that mean for the future? Like what can we start to build on top of that? And that's why I love this space is because everywhere I look, like there's people being like, oh, oh shit, like there's this new thing, like people can own stuff like how does this relate to maybe like uh what i can build or what i've worked on in the past and how i can make it better and it, that kind of energy is kind of the same thing we saw probably in like 2008 ish you know like post financial crisis like that whole that whole swath of startups that was like oh I, there's all this new stuff like let, let's build something new and that kind of like I, I mean i'm sure it was still going but at least from my perspective like as as a student of it it, it seemed to kind of fizzle out and this is kind of the the renaissance the new exciting thing um in that space and all these builders are moving over and, and trying to build new things. Yeah, no, I think it's fascinating. Like that's with my non-crypto friends, whenever they complain about certain things in the finance, but banking or financial industry, cable, and uh, like it's kind of become a meme. I'll be like, crypto solves this. And they're like, how? And you can explain how, but it's not happening yet. It feels like, you know, like for everyone who's been pilled, and I know you love that term, like crypto pilled, um, you, there's like these light bulb moments where you're like, oh my God, like this could, you can feel it. You can almost see it where the, this, this horrible thing gets solved um, and you get super excited about it. So like, obviously finance is something that's really big right now that people are trying to solve banking. I 
deal with banks constantly. And it's very frustrating how archaic a lot of their technology is. Outside of the financial and banking industry, what areas are you looking to that you think crypto is going to disrupt in a big way? Yeah, so definitely media. Like I think that like Twitter and early Twitter was like a protocol. Everyone was building like all these APIs on top of it and like doing really cool stuff with the with the data that Twitter was making. And then one day Twitter was like, yo, never mind, actually. Like it's ours. APIs, <laughs> a, APIs off. Like there's we gotta make money. Like, sorry. And so I think media like has a big opportunity to do that. And you think about the way that media is like delivered to you, like an algorithm that like Twitter's making for you, or, you know, we've seen it with TikTok, like TikTok obviously has some great like features for people making videos, like lowering the barrier to entry to make like high quality videos was a big thing TikTok did, but everyone talks about TikTok's algorithm, right? Like that is like behind their doors. Like they figured that out. They had some crazy algorithm, but I think like that's the way that this information is being delivered to us and it's shaping a lot of people's lives and their worldviews like i think there's a huge opportunity if all this data is public for people to come in and like build algorithms to be you could go to the algorithm store right like give me the antifa algorithm give me the like far right algorithm like let me see what all what all these people are 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 reading every day and maybe i can start to empathize with like where people are coming from because like the reality being presented to me is actually like just a mainly a function of the people i choose to follow on twitter and then the content they like and the the content that twitter chooses to deliver to me Right. Like I am not, I am not like a super special person. Like my own desires are not my own. They're everyone else's. Like I want a Tesla because you got a Tesla or whatever (laughs) it is. Like my ideas are not my own. Like a lot of the things I'm saying right now are from podcasts or books I read or Substacks. Like all these things are contributing to who we are and like our realities. And we're running around like really mad at everyone because we're like, how can you not see the same reality I'm seeing? And it's because like your algorithm is like feeding you completely different information. So I think there's a huge opportunity for people when all this data is open to go in and like build really interesting solutions to algorithms. Like maybe like someone goes and builds like an algorithm that's only for kids that like, you know, that if they're age 10, like it's only giving them science videos and stuff. Like I think actually China's doing that with TikTok right now, which is kind of interesting. Um, But I, I think like the sandbox of media and like having like all of our tweets, for example, on this like protocol and then people just like querying the database based on like different killer applications they want to build on top of it. Like I think that is not being talked about yet. Like people are starting to kind of do it. Um, but once that really opens up, like a lot of the time we spend on the internet, at least me, it was like Twitter or Substack, maybe maybe Instagram or, you know, like maybe something else, but it's usually some sort of fo- social media. Like that's where I spend most of my time. You don't really spend it on these like random apps that you download and use like once or twice that you have to like search in the search bar for. Like most of this time is spent on media and it hasn't even come for it yet because like finance was the obvious thing to get first. Like that was the most where the incentives were not aligned and um, the most things that can just be codified, like if this, then this, you know, like that's right. basically like most every financial agreement ever. Um, so that was the first like killer feature. But I think like media is definitely going to be the next one. Yeah, no, Algo store. I love that. I think that's that's great. Um, and I, I agree with you. And I also think that like, you know, every company became a tech company. I think there's potential for every company to become a Web3 company in a way. Yeah, um, Brian, Brian Armstrong said that one time. He said every tech company, every company became a tech company. Now every company is going to be a crypto company. And the first time he said it, I was like, oh, okay, that's like a little, that's a little Homer, Brian. And I understand why he's pretty Homer um, about the right. space. But the more that I think about it, you know, like if, if what is a crypto company, you know, like they have a token. Okay. Like that's, that's a likely outcome that every company would have a token. All right. What else is a crypto company? Like new incentive alignment, like new uh like permissionless data uh 
open applications. Like, I mean, I think that's all definitely possible. So I, I'm starting to believe that more and more now. Yeah, no, I, I think it makes sense. I think the game theoretics alone are what's going to are going to drive that. Uh, but I, I want to touch on you talk about open source a lot, and your your podcast is called Composable. Um, I think I've heard, I think it was Chris Dixon talk about how just how exponential open source technology can grow because you can have a bunch of like in Python, a bunch of people can build on all these different packages, optimize them, make them better. Is that kind of what you named the podcast ever? What was the inspiration for that? Yeah, it came from Chris Dixon. He said composability or compound compound interest to finance is like what composability is to computer science or something along those lines. And I thought that was really cool. And like, you know, like I think Naval said it too. Here we are just parroting the like like, like I said earlier, <laughs> not our ideas. But what he said was like, you know, with open source technology, like you have to only solve each problem once. And, you know, when when you look at it that way, like that could actually save a lot of a lot of save up a lot of people's time and energy to focus on more creative endeavors. So composable and especially in the space right now, like you have people that have like Bitcoin podcasts or Ethereum podcasts. It seems really dogmatic. So I think the whole the whole idea of the space is that it's all composable, that we can put like Bitcoin on Ethereum and use it in DeFi with wrapped Bitcoin. Like all right. these things are a multi-chain world. Like all these things are not mutually exclusive. Like the whole idea is that we can build on top of them. Yet like everyone else like preaches that, but at the same time is like, oh no, only my chain. Like how dare thou? Like discourage right. the name of my God. You know, like and, <laughs> um, like that's where it's kind of gotten right now. And I'm like, wait, I thought the whole thing was supposed to be that it's all composable and like. The idea of composability, I think, is really a really cool idea and core to the to the space, but also like just kind of actually embodies what why I love it so much is that like, oh, everything's interoperable. We can build on top of everything. Like, let's keep building solutions instead of like, you know, like, oh, we're going to keep this from us. Uh, right. I, I think the days of that are as a business model. I think the days of that are maybe there's still solutions for it, but especially in software, like I especially on in media and finance, I think those days are numbered. I agree with you. And I, I, it just feels like the pie is growing so fast. Like, I mean, I've only been serious about crypto for a little over a year and it's a full-time job almost just to keep up with everything going on. And it's impossible, right? Like I'm trying my best to keep up with everything. And it feels like the pie is growing enough to where you don't need to, if it's a not, if it's a non-growing pie, you kind of need to protect your slice and then maybe even try to take someone else's slice with this expanding model. It's kind of a rising tide that lifts all boats that may change as we get to the the rougher part of the S curve, but um, would you agree with that? Yeah, it's like any 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 industry or anything that came before it. You know, like if I built iTunes, I'd probably be pretty pissed that like SoundCloud and Spotify were coming along. Like, you know, not only does it threaten like the thing that I built, but it also like threatens the legitimacy of my idea was the most revolutionary. Like iTunes was the most like the most revolutionary idea at the time, and then of course something comes along and innovates more, and it's you know like. Clayton Christian talks about this a lot. And I think a lot of people in the Valley reference it like innovators dilemma that like, you know, once you make something and make the first innovation, it's really hard for that company to keep innovating. They kind of get like sit on, sit on their, their, um, sit on, the, the on back. their laurels. Yeah. They're on their laurels. Like they, they have their bag and they want to protect their bag. And that makes sense. And it also like, they're not protecting their bag and money. They're protecting their ideas and their legitimacy and like why they're the most important thing. So I, I think that's definitely playing a role in a lot of this. But at the same time, like that just means that if you're an open-minded individual and you could keep learning and if we're going to keep inventing stuff in the space, like we surely haven't unlocked like the next big thing. Like if you're just focused on what they're saying or their bias or what the past was, like you're going to miss the new thing. So being open-minded here is actually like a huge advantage for anyone that is a curious person and wants to keep learning and not be dogmatic about anything. Like I think that it's still 
a ton of alpha to be made in, in approaching in the space that way. Yeah, I agree with you. And it, uh, you keep kind of alluding to the dogma. And I think in crypto, it's called maximalism in a lot of ways. So like Bitcoin maximalism, the one chain, this is the one chain. It was the original chain. It's going to win. Or Ethereum, it was the first one with smart contract. It's going to win. There's, a, I think that's the biggest threat within crypto is the maximalism, the dogma of just believing in the one thing. And it's, it's a fascinating to me, though, that people who got into crypto see that how change can be good. And then they just stop. Like they're just like, all right, Ethereum's it we're done you know I, it's, it's the, frustrating to me the religious nature of van i saw this like picture on twitter and it was like a, a booth it was like a wooden booth it was like a climate change confession booth and it was like two sides <laughs> and it had like a curtain and it was like come confess your like climate sins like you're not alone like all of this stuff and you know like I, the caption was the religious nature of man and like i don't you know like i I, everyone denounces like the old religion or the old Ponzi or whatever you want to call it. And they, they just end up accepting a new one. Uh, yeah. you know, like you, if you meet, if you meet someone that's super atheist, I bet they like also like are super fans or super fans of something else, like an artist or the Cowboys or whatever it is, you know, like they'll re you'll replace your religion with something else. Like you will want to be part of a group. You, you, that's definitely what you want to be. You want to be a part of a group and you also want to have like a core like value or thing that you're all working towards. And like, that's holier than thou. And like, you know, you have a person that preaches it like a singer or a Satoshi or Vitalik or whoever it right. is. And so these things all start resembling each other like really quickly. Like, and I think that's just like a human nature thing. Um, so just being aware that like, just because it's not Christianity, Judaism, Islam, or like the, the religions that we had a thousand years ago, like everything is quite religious in nature. Um, and so I think like crypto, even people that come into the space are trying to build a new thing, like they, they quickly recreate the same kind of things that humans have always done, which is, you know, make a, a common, a common group and then have a common mission around a common yeah. cause. Like, no, I think that's right. I think everyone has a God, whether you know who that God is or not, you know, you either choose to, or you have one and you're unaware and you can be upset about it or whatever. But I think, I think that's right. And I think that there are aspects of crypto that can be somewhat religious, you know, and have good intentions. It's like, this, this can give access to everyone to the financial system, which does a lot of good things for people. So I think there are altruistic missions within the crypto space, but the dogma that comes with it can be dangerous. And I think a lot of people in crypto are early adopters and creative types. And that, that kind of cuts against the dogma type of thing to me. Um, but I think this creator's economy will be huge. So I was talking to a friend the other day who was very upset with cable. Uh, we're talking about disrupting other, other old industries. And I thought there would be a, there could be something cool. And I want to talk to you about this because we talked about fluid payments the other day. But imagine if you could watch content that had like a balance from your ETH wallet automatically streaming directly to the creator for every minute or second you watched. Like, I think that would be really cool. Instead of having to pay this monthly fee for Disney Plus and I only use it for an hour, I should pay for that hour I use. Um, and what else do you, do you know about the, the streaming payments? Like nano payments, I guess is what they're calling it. Yeah, so actually... There is something on Lightning Network, which is like Bitcoin's L2 called like yeah. Twitch or something. And it like streams sats every second for you. You listen to a podcast. Um, so I definitely think That's there's awesome. A, yeah. So like I definitely think there's a way to like officially price like our usage with things. Uh, the business model innovation of Web2 in a lot of ways was subscription. Like everything went to subscription. And that's a that was a better model than paying for it every time we needed it. But also if I use like there's people that pay $30 a month for something. And they use it a hundred times over and there's someone that uses it once and pays the same amount. So that's on a surface, like a, a price inefficiency, right? Like 
there is there is an arbitrage opportunity there for someone that can come and deliver a solution that actually charges people or pays people based on the amount of time they're using it. So I think the technology is going to go there. Like I don't think streaming payments is is anywhere out of the realm of possibility in the immediate future. Um, and I, I definitely think that people are going to try to stream money. Like if we stream TV, like I think we'll try to stream money. Like money is really important to society and also is instant gratification. Like I think our brains got rewired with the emergence of TikTok, Instagram, Twitter. Like we want things now and people don't, there's few things people want more than money. So I would expect them to want money right then. So streaming payments is definitely going to happen. Uh, I would definitely start to look out for things that are starting to try to build a solution for that. Yeah. I think the only competitor to money would be like social gratification or so like fame, you know? Um, but it, it just feels, it's like, it feels like an, uh, a holdover from the old system. Like, why do I get paid twice a month? You know, I've worked seven of the 14 days of this cycle. I could use that money now for something, some opportunity. I should be able to have it like a live net worth. That's like, like a bathtub pouring out my expenses and filling up from my payment. I don't know why that's out of the question. I think gas fees are an issue. Maybe you'd have to solve that on L2, which we can talk about too, if you want. Uh, do you have a, a strong opinion on gas fees, Grady? <laughs> I mean, everyone's like, oh, the gas fees are so high. Like, you know, I, what's the meme? What's the meme? Like, it's so crowded. No one goes here anymore or something. Yeah, uh, yeah there's so much demand. <laughs> yeah, so I think, at a high level, like Ethereum, like mainnet is where a lot of value will be settled. Um, but the thing about Ethereum, it's kind of like Rome, like conquered your city uh, outside of on the Mediterranean. And they're like, okay, well, you have our protection now. So no one's ever going to mess with you. But like you got to pay taxes to us. And in this situation, like Ethereum is Rome. They have to, they charge the same amount of taxes to where your city has a thousand people or your city has 10,000 people or a hundred thousand people you all pay for the same level of security. So if I'm sending you $3 versus if I'm sending you 10 million, I'm actually charged like the same amount of money in order to do that transaction, which is great for like certain certain situations, but not others. So I think someone will come in and like build a solution for that. And maybe that's Solana or maybe that's something else that we don't even know yet. Uh, but I think Ethereum mainnet is where most of the va like value will be stored, like significant value. Like if I had anything of more than like a hundred thousand dollars and i was an institution or an individual and i was wanting to play around with it in crypto like i would probably want it to be stored on ethereum mainnet and i probably want it to be stored on like a cold wallet where the keys are like separated so i i, I think people will solve for that just I, people the builders will solve for that in the long run and like the market will the market will fix that if that continues to be a huge issue for everyone so do you see a big migration to L2s, other L1s like Solana you mentioned or like, so do you think the smaller players like you and me would move to L2s or how, how does that kind of shake out five to 10 years from now? It's impossible to say. I mean, there's been a lot of hype about L2s and I, I don't know a ton about zero knowledge rollups. What I've heard is like, it's pretty fascinating stuff and like putting some of this computation off chain, but then putting it back on chain and certain like batches, but also being able to verify that everything done there was correct. Uh, with, with math is pretty cool. So I definitely think ZK rollups are legit, like ZK sync, like some of these Ethereum L2s like might actually solve their problem. Uh, something that like Solana and Avalanche, like people don't want to talk about is that eventually like they'll reach the amount of transactions per second that they've allowed or that they say is possible by just like ramping up the throughput of their, of their blockchain. And, and once that happens, like they run into the same problem. And so all of these things, regardless of like what they're saying they're doing right now, end up having the same roadmap long-term, which is like 
having a modular blockchain, having some kind of rollups using ZK technology or ZK proofs um, or Starks or, you know, whatever kind of proof system you want to use to to go and solve that problem. Like, I think that's like, it's like kind of turtles all the way down. Like everyone ends up having to solve the same problem. So the question becomes like, which team is, which which ecosystem is going to have the the fire to go and solve that problem? Like BlackBerry, for example, like made a phone and it was great. Everyone loved it. Like they didn't have the same edge that Apple had to go and build right. this whole new thing, you know. So like, who's gonna, who's good? What what group? What team? What group of individuals is gonna have not only the energy but like, not have enough money, you know? Like the Apple people right. probably like, you know, we're not as fat as the BlackBerry people at this point. Like we haven't made it, you know. Like we gotta we gotta build something new and make it. So also like, who hasn't gotten rich yet might might play into it as well because they they still have to they still have to actually like put in the work to to make their to make their first amount of money that really sets them free. So, I think they all end up on the same roadmap. I definitely think everything goes to L2s. Like, I think blockchains are going to have to be built in modular ways. Like, they're going to have to have rollups and stuff like that. Like, I think like these things by nature are slow. Like, it's kind of the point of them actually. <laughs> if you wanted like fast storage, you could go and use AWS. Like, right. Yeah, you know, like the whole they they inherently come with this problem, but it comes with, you know, it's like a coin, right? Like your, your same strength, it's your same weakness. Like the strength of these is that they're decentralized and that no one can mess with it and it's all permissionless. The weakness, same side of the other coin is that they're really slow. Right, yeah, it's a spectrum. And I, I wanna touch on that a little later, centralization versus decentralization, because I think that there that's a bit of a mind virus within crypto too. Um, but, but there was one thing you said where it, it's kind of like the blockchain wars. That's what it, it's kind of, you were kind of making, painting that picture. Um, and you compared it to kind of BlackBerry iPhone, the open source aspect of this is interesting to me because obviously Apple's iPhone blueprint was not publicly available to BlackBerry, Nokia, any of their competitors. How do you think that kind of plays in? Because it's, it's I don't, I don't want to say apples to oranges, but that's a big change up from the past with competitive companies. So the 50% of MetaMask users are using BSC, <laughs> which is kind of a crazy stat, which and someone that doesn't know what BSC is, it's Binance Smart Chain. So it's basically like this a fork of the Ethereum EVM. It's the exact same thing with just like way less validators. So they souped up the the throughput to have way more transactions per second. And Binance either owns or has relationships with all these validators. It's much less decentralized. Um, some people would even say it's just like one database. And Solana maybe has a similar criticism. Solana is not a fork of EVM. Avalanche is actually a fork of EVM. They have a different consensus mechanism. So it's not the exact same thing, uh, but all of these things are looking at what Ethereum did and pretty much using their same their same tech. And what's cool about it is that developers have to do what's like short term and long term best for the users at all times, right? Like, and so it makes this like hyper capitalistic, like efficient market where everything is open, like best best person wins. You know, like there's no secrets here. You know, like it's like it's like an open book test basically. And right. you know, who who's actually who's actually the best at, at at solving the answers based on all of the available information. Uh, so it is definitely counterintuitive. And I think Web3 in general, like the the meme Web3 versus Web2 is, is so polarizing because a lot of it is counterintuitive, right? Like we were optimizing everything for speed, like databases in particular, like AWS. So like, oh, let's make them pretty much as slow as possible, but like no one can, you know, no one can mess with it. And it, it's because crypto is playing a longer term game. Like these things aren't problems today, but you know, just like, things that were, weren't problems two years ago that some people were starting to talk about. And it's like clear that these things are problems today. Like that's going to continue happening. So crypto is like front running these by 
having short-term inefficient solutions, but long-term, like more beneficial for society um, and having this environment where the best person wins. Yeah. And I think that's actually a great segue into centralization versus decentralization. So like you said, we've had a very centralized tech world and it's very fast. We've been optimizing for speed, but it's in the hands of very few players. And so at crypto, we're trying to move that into as many people as possible, make it a very democratic system that everyone can be a part of. But by nature of the decentralized like community, it's slow. Um, I think that we're, in my opinion, we're in a correction phase where decentralization seems like the right thing because we've been so centralized. I don't see centralization or decentralization as inherently good or bad, either of them. This is just my personal opinion. And I think that decentralization maximalism, I know we've gotten into arguments about this in our group text, um, can be a mind virus. I don't think it's necessarily the best thing for everything to be decentralized. How do you kind of come down on this debate? Bology talked about it one time, like society is just like helix. You know, it's not like switching back and forth, but it's like moving upwards and changing. And like it's a, it's a helix between centralization and decentralization. So this has happened before. Like you look back to the Renaissance, like the printing press, like everything was super centralized at that period in time in, in, in Europe. And what happened was is like the, the Catholic Church, like the Pope, like said that the power of or God had given them basically political power and like the kings had to kind of listen to what they were saying and and what happened was is like Martin Luther like during the Protestant Reformation like went around and like just printed like these memes of peasants like farting on the pope basically saying like your power is illegitimate and what's crazy is is there wasn't actually like these people that were spreading these memes like the peasants weren't literate so they couldn't actually write words and like write their reasons for why but like they all saw the meme and they looked at it and be like oh yeah by the way like your power is not legitimate and like this spun on this massive like decentralization uh, point in time where you have like the dark ages after or uh, sorry not the dark ages after but you just have this period of like turmoil um, like the the catholic church is no longer legitimate but now that we have this technology the printing press we can spread information faster and like that also had its benefits so everything became decentralized same thing kind of happened after the fall of roman empire like everything became decentralized with all these like little empires and that actually wasn't like necessarily better for everyone like some of those times were some of the worst times in history uh, but when things get too centralized we usually have to kind of exit it we don't have to end the old thing. We don't be like, well, end the Catholic Church. Like, no, you can't end the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church is still here today. Like, you have to exit it. You have to make the Protestant Church. Like, you have to start a slightly new system that you, like, kind of forked the code, for per se, of the old one, but, like, added some tweaks that didn't have the same um, the same places of the, the same amount of, I don't know how you say that, the same, <laughs> the same amount of, like, points of failure, right? right. So, like, that's what, right. that's what we're doing. That's what we're doing with, uh, decentralization. I it's a it's a north star in the space, but also at the same time, like a lot of the progress that happens in society is from subjective or decentralized. I think the two are sorry, subjective or centralized. Like I think that those two words are actually synonyms. Like centralization, subjectivity, decentralization, objectivity. Like interesting. Decentralization is not very scalable, right? Like centralization is super scalable, but what the problem with centralization and the scalability that comes with it is actually becomes really subjective, like the power becomes in a few people's hands. And so what happens to a subjective system is it inherently gets corrupted over time. Right, and it loses to, the truth. Yeah, like it lose, that's, what, that's what happens when anything becomes subjective. And then you have to like come back to this like wild correction of objectivity. So Bitcoin, like a currency backed by math, basically, like be, computers solving complex math equations. Like we have to go back to that. We have to go back to that thing. And even though it's like way where everyone looks at this, like, oh, this is way worse. This is way, this is way not the same level of efficiency. Well, why are we doing this? And it's like, well, like 
The other thing is is really efficient, but it's corrupt. So we have to kind of trade off. So I think there's points in time when you do have to do the decentralization thing and points in time where in order to pull society forward, you have to centralize. And even when you know you're going to centralize, you know it's going to get corrupted. So that's what decentralization actually to say. Why you keep doing this, you know it's going to happen. But at the end of the day, like centralization scales, like the right. Catholic Church, the Catholic Church scaled. Like that's why the Catholic Church won out. Like that's how Christianity was spread across the world because it was had this concise message. Like don't deviate from this. Like this is the rule. We have one person saying this is what we're going to do. Like and we're going to move forward. Same thing with an empire like Rome, maybe. So I think the two things are outside of just the blockchain debate and what's going on in Web two, Web three. Like this has always been like a core thesis of of society. And um, to be like super pro one or the other, I think is missing. I think there's a lot more to learn there than just being like, oh, decentralization for sure all the way. Or like, no, yes. centralize it. Let's have an emperor. Let's let's do that all the time. Like the Roman Empire was glorious. Let's go back. Like, I think that's also like a like not a great idea. So trying to find the balance and given the situation, like which you want to use. Right. There's trade-offs. Yeah. They all have trade-offs. Right. Yeah. And I, I think like I love your historical uh met like analogies like comparisons and i think one that's interesting to think about is the opposite of that so going from decentralization to centralization so i think of like the founding fathers the articles of uh confederation did not work because it was too decentralized every colony or state i guess had their own currency they couldn't trade it in between there was no visa at that time it was really hard to operate they couldn't get anything done so the constitution tried to centralize things in a more decentralized way if that makes sense so there's like this weird it's like centralized decentralization or something like that, where you have a decentralized network, but you do have a few, like five major nodes who can get things done efficiently if needed, or like a wartime power where you centralize power in a country because you need, you have one goal that you're going after. So I think there's some interesting way of meshing those two, but I agree with you that we're always going to be either going too far one way, too far the other, and just constantly correcting. I think that's a lot of life though. Um, but I like your historical analogies. I think those are useful. Yeah, like this, the United States is like the best example of decentralization ever, right? So right. there's 50 states. We all try different policies. If something works, then a couple more states do it. And if that starts to work and we start to analyze like the externalities of that result, then the federal government ends up adopting it, right? Like the the fact that it is decentralized is this kind of like natural science lab of policy that we that different people on really micro levels, whether it be like your city or your county or your state can try and then if that stuff works, if those ideas are good, then the federal government, the centralized thing can kind of deploy it to everyone else. So I think, you know, like there's the whole, I think Naval said at one time, it was like, I'm socialist with my friends. I'm like liberal with my local government. I'm Republican at my state government. I'm libertarian at national. Yeah, like I love we, that. Like we think that like how, how could it be that like your ideology would like scale like nicely with all of your interactions right. in society from your family to 330 million people? Like that is... That is a wild take to have, I guess, in my, opinion, in my opinion. So I do think there's a lot more here than just yes or no, or we'll do this or that. We'll centralize or decentralize. Like there's a lot to be, there's a lot to be learned from the people that have come before us on, on this subject. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think the United States is the best example. And I think crypto fits into that model. And I mean, we see what China is doing. They're trying to use the technology without the whole community and decentralization thing. Um, they're, Trying to, it's, it's actually, do, do you have any opinion on that? Kind of how China shut down mining, they're shutting down all the crypto stuff, but they're they're moving on CBDCs faster than we are. So they're trying to use it within their centralized government, their financial system. They're trying to use the benefits 
without the community and all the stuff that I guess people like you and me really appreciate. Yeah, China's kind of like a corporation in America, for instance. Like it has all of these internal politics, like whatever company you've worked for in the past or what I worked for in the past, like I could maybe explain to you the internal politics of that company, but I wouldn't even really understand it because there's so much going on. And, you know, like, so I think we have this like view of China and we try to contextualize it from our, our point in time or our, our point in the world and see, oh, this is what they're doing and why. Like, it's actually really complex and like it has this whole, whole it has an entire set of inner workings that we can't even begin to describe as outsiders, just as like I couldn't describe the inner workings, the political inner workings of the company you work for without you know, spending like 10 or 20 years there. So I think the same thing is happening in China. Like, I don't think they agree on everything they do. And they they are, they do do really interesting things where the, the counter, the juxtaposition of a CBC versus like banning all the Bitcoin miners is like super compelling, right? Like, how could they possibly be moving on the same thing at the same time? And maybe that's where the truth becomes a little contradictory in nature. Uh, but I think that China has their playbook for how they want to continue to, to improve the, their society and their country for their citizens and and their ability to like be above the poverty line and, and whatever it may be like that's within China's like right to go ahead and like put forth what they think is best there and I think right. in America and in America like we have the same duty to our citizens and you know the, the future generations that come before us to do what we think is best like to try the best ideas and so I do think that like crypto in in general is like very like in tune to America given the decentralized nature of that as well as just like innovative nature of America. And I think that like, it's a little antithetical to China. So I'm a little disappointed that America isn't like doubling down on it, but right. I think it'll, I think I'm actually, I actually don't worry too much about it because I think in a couple, in a couple years, it'll become like really clear to the American policymakers as well as like the American people that this is, this could be our competitive advantage, like long-term versus China. And it's like pretty in line. The values are pretty in line to the American values, like the bill of rights, for example, like I think, I think crypto, like you find a lot of people that would agree with those 10 statements really strongly. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think the genie's already out of the bottle. Like, I think if the entrenched establishment of the U.S., whether that's the, you know, the power with the money, the governmental, the policymakers, um, it's too late. They can't put this thing away. Crypto is too strong. There's too much momentum behind it. And the the, the benefits of it are too great. Like uh, for the just the infrastructure, digital infrastructure will do so much better. It's just... It'll outcompete any of the old companies, I think, in the long run. And just real um, quick, the, just real quick oh, uh, what's like the one really good thing that the American government's done in the last 30 years? The internet. Yeah, so like Section 230, like coming on and making the law that like people that are making websites are not publishers, like they're not subject to the same litigation. And actually like the best thing that the American government has done probably in the last 30 years is actually the thing they didn't do. And so I think, I think, in this situation, like we can learn from the past here. And, and so, so you mean us- like Twitter and Facebook, not owning the content of their, not, not facing liability for whatever anyone posts on there. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. So there's a lot of great information on section 230 and I can't explain it as well as like, there's a great A16Z podcast about it. If anyone wants to go look at it, but it was like this internet law in like the nineties that basically made it to where like, if I have a website and there's like four people posting on the website, like I am not the publisher of that information. So therefore I'm not, liable for like for instance like someone saying something libelous about someone else on it yeah um and this really allowed this piece of legislation allowed for the modern internet to be invented and it was kind of like how llc's allowed for people to be like business owners like before an llc like if i wanted to build wagons in france 
I would like build the wagon for France and maybe like some person in the French government buys it that's really wealthy and like he's going down the road at night and like the wheel breaks off and then he gets robbed and then like he comes back and says oh it's your fault that that the wheel broke like and now I, I lost all this money like I'm suing you I'm taking you to court like you don't have money for a lawyer like I'm gonna basically take everything you own from you because right. you had no protection so that's where we, the LLC actually came from like this kind of example and I and that's kind of what section 230 was for the internet people that were building on the internet like they didn't have to worry that you know, like everything they did would be fall back on them. And it, it was kind of a topic over the last couple of years with people trying to regulate tech companies. But I do think it was like the, probably the best thing that the American government has done in the last 30 years. Like it's their shining, it's their shining star from my point of view. And it was the thing they didn't do basically, like writing really good legislation around how we're not going to mess with this thing and we're going to let it keep going. Um, and I know they, they believe they have an obligation to protect investors and people. And, you know, like I think I, I wish them best uh, as they start to regulate this and like try to, like, I really hope they write really good laws around this kind of stuff. Cause I want to see it happen in America. You know, like I don't want every, every founder that builds something amazing in this space to be afraid of coming to America. Like the Valley, like Silicon Valley, like the people that built web two was really like a, a very high percentage of them were immigrants. Uh, I think well over 50% of the people that were working for those fame companies, like were immigrants or, or, you know, first generation Americans and, I think if we stop attracting that talent and the hot new thing, which is crypto, then that's like a that's not only a problem for America twenty years from now, that's a problem for Americans five years from now. And I think I think we should all take that really seriously, regardless of our political beliefs or uh, regardless of what's going on in our lives. Like I think I think we all want, we all want to be competitive in the future, and we want this place to be the best place to live and the best place to start a business. Amen to that. Yeah. And I love that. You said the best thing they did is what they didn't do. I think that's, that's, there's some wisdom to that. Um, and I think you're kind of alluding to the SEC and what they're going to do going forward. And I, I, I think that's interesting. And it, uh, I mean, I think it starts with education. It, it kind of, you know, they need to be aware of what's going on, but I, I don't know. It's, it's a, that's a tough one. The whole, they, they have a really hard job right here. You know, like I, like people want to hate on them and stuff. I know it's easy to hate on them, but if I'm in their position, like I, you and I have like interacted with DeFi protocols, so like we understand like what it's like to bridge Ethereum off of Coinbase and just go and like use our MetaMask. Like, you know, in in a lot of ways, it's like <laughs> probably impossible to regulate. Um, like, there's not a lot of like they're just now really like digging into this. And I there was a lot of people in the government and the SEC that were looking into this, you know, the last ten years. So I want to give them credit too. Like, and I actually do think that. They get hate. They get some hate, but I I do think right. they're actually trying trying to figure out what to do here, and the solution is not obvious. You know, people are like oh they got to stop these scams, like you have the Squid Game coin or something. Like oh they got to you know stop this, and it's like, well the whole thing is like kind of permissionless. The whole thing in nature is like kind of unstoppable. So like anyone who says like oh we'll just regulate it, like we'll fix it, doesn't really understand what's going on. So I actually do think I actually am optimistic that people within the American government within the SEC will like really write some good legislation around this stuff to make sure that future people that are building these or people that are building the future, quite frankly, want to do it in America. Yeah, no, I think that's a hopeful message. And I think the paternalistic aspect of that where people lose like iron finance, for example, when that bank run happened and that collapsed a lot of like I was in that we had friends in that lost money. And I think even Mark Cuban was like, we need this to be regulated. And I, I to me, that drives me crazy because I, I like, I think Gary Gensler called it the wild West and uh, Elizabeth Warren was like, you need five wilds in front of that West or something like that. She's like, it's a wild, wild West, but it's like, that's exactly right. 
the people in this under you should understand the risk that you're going through. And it's kind of like we needed those bold risk takers to go to California to look for gold, to go out to Texas and settle it, fight whatever wars they had to fight. There's something to that metaphor to me where it's like you need to let people fail a little bit in this to figure out what's best before you come in and put a sheriff in town that has no idea what's going on, doesn't know the lay of the land or anything like that, uh, in my opinion. Yeah, crypto crypto needs its section two thirty. Uh, and yes, section, yeah. <laughs> section two thirty is actually like, to my knowledge, a very short piece of legislation, like a couple pages, and arguably that it created trillions of dollars in value for America's or America's GDP as well as like American citizens and American families. So I think something of the of the sorts where they can maybe put some like basic KYC stuff into some of this and you know start to put more resources to the education side. Uh, would be would be would be really useful but it, i look forward to the day when they actually do do something because i'm quite interested to see what they would actually be able to do and like what they would what they would put forth first if that makes sense like i have no right. idea like i could not i could not even describe to you like the kind of law i would expect from them so it's kind of like a open bot uh, like it's 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 a present we don't know what's going to be in it when they do it and right a present <laughs> i don't know like that they've been hauling the tech companies up to to Washington like the last five years and nothing's really come out of that either. So it's, it's, yeah. it's it, it, if there was a simple solution, like someone would propose it, they would propose it, they would enforce it. Um, this thing is really complex. So we'll have to see where they go with it. Yeah, no, I agree. And then just to switch gears, I think to wrap this out, I think it would be kind of fun just to talk about what you are watching for the next year, specifically 2022. What are one or two things that you think are going to be big, interesting to watch? Or what are you excited about? Like, what is Grady Wells pumped about for this next year in Web3 and crypto? I'm definitely really excited about the media angle. Like, I think that, like, if anyone's here or listening to this has ever interacted with Mirror.xyz, like, that team is incredible. Like, not only is the site beautiful, but, like, how they've scaled it from just being, like, this decentralized substack to opening up all these opening up to anyone that could participate. Like you used to have to do this like rat race or a write race where you write what you're going to write about and someone votes with some tokens and you could go. Now anyone could post on it. And now like anyone can mint an NFT and basically like start a multi-sig wallet and start a DAO like from a blog post and people could own the blog post, for example. And then that way people don't have to put ads or put it behind a paywall for people to read it. Like writing can become a public good. Like Mirror itself is an entire case study and that team is amazing. And so that was just like one of the first killer use cases for how we can decentralize media and how we could start to change some of these relationships that writers, artists, like creators have with the work that they're making and how they're paid for that work instead of moving away from ads, moving towards ownership. Also, just on the subject, like I don't think ads are necessarily evil. Like I love some of the Instagram ads I get. Like I, I don't think they're I don't think ads are always bad. I think there there's a time and a place for them. It's just that the fact that the entire thing is predicated upon the ad model and our data. Um, I think there's just better ways for people to create value on the internet. So media is something I'm definitely going to be watching. And I know play to earn is really hot right now. And just NFT yeah. gaming, NFT gaming. Uh, I mean, there's a, so, so actually, what, what is play to earn just to break it down simply. What, what's your understanding of play to earn gaming? Yeah. So basically you're rewarded with like whatever in-game asset that you're normally rewarded with, like in Gareth of Auto, like say you, you complete a mission, you get some kind of dollars or points associated with it. Like those maybe have some kind of monetary value. And then like, you could also create like the initial like characters, like you could an Axie infinity, like you play the game and you could breed the axes. And then people that want to start playing the game have to breed axes. 
which I know at the surface sounds like a, a massive Ponzi scheme, but like that, <laughs> their business model will have to, their business model will have to evolve as well, right? Like they'll have to eventually put like ads in their metaverse, that kind of thing. Um, it's just a really interesting like user acquisition model. And then, you know, it's not that different than Ready Player One. And like, I don't think that it's, I don't jump to dystopia there just because like, I think people are already putting a lot of time and effort into games and in game resources. Like everyone has a friend that was really good at a video game and like sold their team or sold their right. account. Oh, that's RuneScape. Whenever I was like yeah. nine, that was huge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Steve Bannon, RuneScape goal. I think like Steve Bannon was like, <laughs> no, that's a whole other thing. Oh, really? Um, I don't know. I, I, I heard that somewhere. Um, anyway, anyway, like people are like playing these games and like they're creating value in the games like and that market's inefficient, right? Like I think in a lot of ways, crypto brings liquidity to all assets, all assets that can have liquidity and um, I think NFTs will allow for people to actually own the things they create in those games. And one thing that I'm noticing right now is like everyone has this thesis, like everyone knows it'll be eventually be true, but the people that are building the games, like they're not actually good games, like people don't actually like to play them and there's a limited amount of assets that can be invested in. And so like there might be some kind of just like there's not enough things to invest in the future of this right now. So all this money is going into certain projects like I think what will actually change for this is like one of the big game studios that makes games that people love to play has the courage to go out and adopt some NFTs or crypto like assets into their game. Like, I think that'll be the big moment when this changes. Maybe someone goes and builds it from the outside of the system. Maybe we need that. But I was talking to a friend who was doing some field work on this and went to a, a NFT gaming like conference. And I was like, what did you think? And he, he said, well, it, it sounded, it felt like no one there had actually ever played video games. <laughs> so it's crypto kind of, guys trying to build games rather than gamers trying to incorporate crypto. Is that what I'm understanding? Yeah. Or just like that thesis of like, oh, it makes sense that everyone owns their in-game assets. What's the best in the things that are allowing that? Well, it turns out the things that are allowing that maybe right now are limited in scope, right? So all, they're really overcapitalized or they're not actually good games. Like for instance, Decentraland, which is like worth like $5 billion market cap. Like yeah, if, been any, there. if any given time you go on to the server, there's like maybe a thousand people. And then like half of them are sitting idle. You're right. In the, sitting idle in the lobby. And then the other half of them are literally at the casino. I'm not kidding. Like, so yeah. Um, and the land is crazy expensive. Like there's high barriers to entry in the central land. And you have to have a good enough computer that can render the graphics. And there's all of that uh, going into that too. Yeah. So right now it's like, it, it'd be like, oh, the internet's going to be a big thing. Like there's only five internet uh, like <laughs> web, web app stocks. Let's all invest in them. Uh, not to say that those things don't have value and those teams aren't like, I don't think those te it's the team's fault. Like the teams are trying to build it and you know, like they didn't expect this to happen, but everyone like that, that meme like clicked really quickly for everyone. Like maybe the NFT meme took a little bit, maybe the Bitcoin meme took 10 years, but the, Oh, you get to own the, the, the asset you make in a game or the Fortnite skin and you can trade it. Right. Everyone's like, Oh yeah, duh. Like, why can't I do that already? So yeah, well, Fortnite's the one that came to mind to me. It's like, I'm putting money in for V-Bucks already. Why can't I redeem those V-Bucks for money? And then also my skin, I, it'd be cool if I can move that to another game or my pickaxe I can use another game. Any of that, the interoperability aspect of that's pretty cool. If you bring things on chain, like Epic Games, maybe you can use stuff in their other games. You know, I think that's an interesting development. Well, they literally have a digital currency V-Bucks, like you alluded right. to it. Like right. <laughs> they have it. They have an in-game currency. Um, everything's owned by Fortnite. And... You know, like people are going to try to figure it out. Like, I, I think like people like hate on the Fortnite guy for saying NFTs are scams. They're not going to do that yet. Well, of course, it's like antithetical to what he's doing. It's like the guy selling bikes when cars came around. He's like, oh, you don't want that. Like, right. nothing's going to, 
that thing's going to break down on you. It's going to explode. Like it's not, yeah. It's not, it's not reliable. Like you're going to, it's going to be too expensive. Like all of these different things. And also like Fortnite's a great game and like people actually like playing that game and you know, they're not going to completely pivot what they're doing. Like also imagine the mania that would be surrounded by like if all the Fortnite things became like NFTs on the flow blockchain and everyone could trade them, like it would be insanity, you know? So yeah. part of it, it, part of it is, part of it is if I'm these CEOs or I work at these companies, maybe this would benefit us. But if we institute it now, like it'll be too crazy. <laughs> like yeah. I, and, and people, people don't talk about that. They're like, Oh, look at the, all these people suffering from the innovators dilemma. Like they're going to get stuck in the past. And it's like, well, would, could you put them yourself in their shoes? Imagine if every Fortnite skin like had a market for it. Like it would, people would be like gambling on that stuff. Like also like 12 year old kids would be game. It's yeah. a whole, it's just a whole can of worms that people are punting on. But I do think there's going to be a lot of developers that are getting funding right now or game designers, game builders that worked at these studios that are a little bit younger, like super digitally native, like also understand crypto and they'll start to build games right now. Like AAA, like really, really great. Like Grand Theft Auto, not Grand Theft Auto. That's crazy. But like, really great like fun games that people actually enjoy playing that'll have some crypto native assets and that's kind of when you'll see the paradigm actually shift uh right now it's just like shifting with money and ideas and tweets yeah and and tweet threads but that is interesting what you said how it took so long for bitcoin to catch on and other crypto nfts are still confusing to most people but the the game like oh there's already a current like there was webkins as a kid they had kins cash it's like oh I, i should be able to transfer that to my friend like I had a friend who couldn't afford the battle pass and he didn't want to put his credit card in. It's like, I should be able to send him my V bucks to buy the battle pass. And that, why is that not a function? Like there's just little things like that, that I think any gamer would appreciate and then play to earn making that market a lot easier. Um, just makes sense. I, I don't know. That's, that's an easy leap for most people. Yeah. Um, some of them, some of them make a lot of sense. I think like NBA top shot, the reason it went so hyperbolic is, Oh, it's a trading card. You know, like everyone's like, Oh, it's a digital trading card it's pretty skeuomorphic like it makes sense so those type of things that really resemble the prior thing make a lot of sense usually that the major innovation that happens is like totally different and so maybe me looking at nft gaming as like oh the first studio to actually put in their game is actually the whole wrong way of thinking about it maybe like it's something like axie or a whole new paradigm like play to earn that actually pioneers a whole new thing so it's impossible to tell, but I, I think some things click faster than others. And yeah. I do think all of these things we're talking about will be reality. Like it's really unsure on what the timeline is for those things to become a reality or or who builds it. Um, but I do think they all happen. It's just a matter of like when and where and who. And that's kind yeah. of like what, it, that's what investing, that's what investing is. Right. No, so that's actually really interesting what you bring up right there. I just want to touch on this one last thing where most things are slow evolutions, right? So like, you make a car slightly better. It's slightly more fuel efficient. You have a, a different model or whatever, but it's, it's basically the same. You can always tell it's a car. Like I, I heard someone talking about, they were like, why do cars have two headlights? And I was like, I, I don't know. They had AI design a car and they put a, a full bar across the front of it. The reason cars have two headlights is because before there were cars, there were carriages and horses had to be in the middle and there were lamps on either side. So they just kept that going. No one ever questioned why cars have two headlights. A light bar across the front would be a lot more effective. And no one ever really thought about that until they put it into AI to build a car and they created that. So there's two different, there's models of evolution, slow evolution, or let's go back to the fundamentals, rethink this. What was the original problem? What was the original question? And let's make something completely different that's not building upon what we use. I guess that's innovation versus invention. Um, and I think crypto is kind of a combination. 
Yeah, crypto offers uh, infrastructure for the whole new thing to be designed, but some of it will look really similar. Like we're talking about the NBA top shot and the trading cards. Yeah. Like when Steve Jobs made like iBooks on your iPhone, when the first iPhone came out, it's like this, you know, cabinet background, like a bookshelf, right? Or, you know, like one of the first Mac, Chris Dixon gives this example. One of the first Mac ads was a husband and wife sitting at their kitchen table, like putting their recipe into their Mac, you know, like, of course, or, you know, how on your, on your computer, there's a desktop and then on the desktop, there's files. Like, you know, that's because in the, in the physical world, file there's folder. a desktop and there's a file folder. And, wow. You know, I never thought about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so a lot of these things that when we make something new, we usually try to just replicate the old thing and put it on there. And then the crazy new thing that happens is something we weren't thinking about before that. I mean, I think Apple and like the smartphone was like that moment. Like, I think crypto is like also like a similar like smartphone, like order magnitude increase in like what's possible. And then you have the app store or sorry, you have the iPhone come out. That's a whole new paradigm. Two years later, you have the app store. Developers can go build on the app store. They go build apps worth billions of dollars, hundreds of billions of dollars at this point. Like, I think crypto is kind of the same thing. Like we first had Bitcoin. Now we have other blockchains. Like it's now this breeding ground for developers to come and build on top of people are building like billion dollar DeFi protocols or possibly DAOs, decentral DAOs decentralized media, maybe NFT gaming, play to earn game. Like all of this is a sandbox and you know, it's still very much like kids playing in the sand. Yeah. Uh, d developers are actually a lot more capable than probably kids. But at, at the end of the day, like it's, <laughs> it's the, the analogy is because it's, it's in its infancy, right? Like, People that are playing the sandbox are in are the space as a whole is in its infancy, um, and we'll continue to be able to see it grow. Like the internet was an amazing place, the internet I believe is an amazing place still. But like the way we take it to the next level is we actually have rights, we have property rights, NFTs, we have ownership tokens. Like these things, having rights and ownership are fundamental to creating value in a society. And I think on the internet we didn't have that, and now we do, and that's yep. crypto, and that's why. That's why I that's why I'm working on it full time. That's why everything I see on Twitter I send to the group chat. Like every job posting that I see related to crypto or people trying to break into web three, I send it to y'all because like I'm just gonna keep doing it because I, I know this is like where all the fascinating stuff is happening and I want everyone to be a part of it. I moved to Austin, Texas. I'm the same way about Austin. Like I want everyone to move here. You know, I'm like, oh come visit me, like you have a place to stay, I'll take you on a tour. Like I'm kind of recruiting them. The same thing with Web3. Like I want everyone to come be a part of it because I I like Austin, Texas. I do think it like crypto web three is like a special place on the internet. Yeah. Yeah. And your passion bleeds through and it's contagious. So I appreciate that. I think that's a great spot to end and great. I'd love to talk to you again in the future as crypto continues to change, but I really appreciate you coming on and taking the time to talk with me, man. For sure. I appreciate you having me. I loved your questions. I think we share some of the same influences on people. We've listened to their podcast and their style of questioning and trying to create like long form media. And I think, at the end of the day, crypto and the media right now and the caricature of it is very much like the tip of the iceberg. Maybe people have heard the word Bitcoin or Ethereum or Dogecoin. And like, that's like the top of the iceberg. And like right. everyone's, everyone's seen that like motivational poster thing that has like the, the rest of the iceberg. Yeah. Like, and, and it's like, that really is so true with like Web3 and crypto. And so continuing to make media outside of, of that prior media environment that long form talks about some of these things and not just like the price of Cardano or XRP tomorrow right? or even, you know, not to hate on them or Ethereum price of 
Bitcoin next December, whatever it is. Yeah. Like there's a lot more interesting conversations to be had. And quite frankly, like the people that I'm friends with and the people that I like talking about this stuff with, like they'll connect on like a really interesting, like ideological thing that I propose. Like I have a friend that does a lot of marketing stuff and I showed him the idea of like having like open source marketing basically where a protocol or a company is like, we'll pay for $10 for every a thousand clicks on this TikTok video explaining what we do. They don't have to actually find the influencer to make that video. They can put it out to everyone. Everyone goes and does the work for them. The people come back with proof that that actually, they made the video and then it had yep. the views and then they get paid. And we can put that all on chain. And like when he saw, when he heard that, he was like, oh my gosh, like this is crazy. Like, you know, like that was his moment. So I think things click for different people at different things. Like the artist didn't understand Bitcoin, but understands NFTs. NFTs, so right. I think like the, the, longer we have conversations about this and all of the different corners and all the different ways that people will fit into this. If you're not a developer, you're not like a, a gold head or a Bitcoin maxi. <laughs> like there's a lot, there's a, the space is really loud. What I'm trying to say, the space is really loud from the outside and it looks yeah. like a couple things, but underneath it, like there's the most amazing group of individuals, developers, game theorists, marketers, builders, creatives, like building the new internet. And I want everyone to be a part of it. And yeah. so we're, we're just going to keep talking about it. And I appreciate right. that you had me on to, to discuss it a little bit more in depth. No, absolutely. And Grady, I should say uh, you, you, you post a lot of good stuff. You curated a great community. Where can people find you if they want to learn more about Grady Wells? For sure. You can follow me on Twitter at Grady Wells bot, like B-O-T. Um, someone, someone was sitting on at Grady. Um, so I had, to, <laughs> I, had to, I had to mix it up. But follow me on there. And then the podcast i make is called composable on twitter it's composable xyz um on any podcast you listen to whether it be apple spotify google you can go find it uh just the name composable so we post episodes every week just interviewing founders long form and what i would encourage anyone listening to do is like just read through all of them and, like maybe see like I, I i write some good show notes as well so maybe like see the content maybe it relates to what you're doing in, in your career right now and maybe listen to that person talk about what they're building uh, in web three and how that relates to what you're doing. Like I find that to be like really helpful and there's a good array of content there. So I think no matter what your interests are, you can find something. So go check that out. And then if you follow me on Twitter, like I'll repost some of the articles that I read that are really like thought provoking for me. Like I want to make sure I'm sharing that to everyone that's also in my network. So those will also uh, be great people to follow. Like anyone that's in my network or I'm following or I'm retweeting or posting, like I definitely recommend following them and their ideas in the space moving forward. That's great, man. Yeah, thanks again, dude. And uh, this was awesome. We'll definitely talk more in the future. Um, and I appreciate your 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 social skills and your your knowledge. So thank you, dude. I appreciate you, Austin. Thanks for having me. Thanks, everyone.